Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. Just want to make sure that you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Fullscale.io. Heard of them? Yeah. It's a cool company. I know. I heard the guys that run it are just amazing. I heard Matt's awesome. Yeah, just Matt, though. Speaking of, ama- <laughs> Speaking of amazing companies and startups, we have a guest today that's, uh, whose company is doing a whole lot uh, for things related to you know the environment and so much of the pollution that comes in the air comes from things like scooters and small engines and stuff like that and we're going to talk a little bit more about that but with us today we've got ace wagner who's the ceo of technology elevated ace what's up what's up matt uh matt uh i'm here and happy to be here so uh thank you for that vibrant introduction anything i can do to 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 pump up the situation now before we recorded we also decided we're not going to play cards with you why i don't just feel like playing cards with a guy named ace is not a good idea (laughs) i mean am i wrong or i don't know you are wrong i'm a sucker well that's yeah (laughs) also guys named ace that tell you they're a sucker at the card table i feel also (laughs) like but okay watson do you see how that works he's like yeah i'm a fish i'm a sucker you can get you can get me you can take all my i'm sure he's heard all next thing you know next thing you know you're you're (laughs) you're at an atm at at the convenience store and it's going maximum withdrawal for the day so anyway and by the way if you're out there you want to check us out on youtube uh come subscribe to our new channel you love we love it when you are interactive so you can go to technologyelevated.com and check out what they do so let's talk a little bit about engines and and your background and stuff like that so you guys do some complex stuff and then it's also kind of straightforward at the same time so give us a little background about about what y'all are up to at technology elevated so Maybe you've heard in the past of the magic carburetor that could do all kinds of things uh, in terms of fuel economy and power systems and this kind of thing. There's been quite a history around such a revolution, a revolutionary product. And some of that history evolved from a guy named Red Edmondson. And Red was an inventor, um, a, a, a rider, racer. Uh, very well known in the uh, uh, automotive circuit and the motorbike circuit. But he invented a concept that we have, by our original association with him, uh, retrieved, reinvented, and brought to market. And that solution, I I don't want to call it a carburetor because it performs in a way as a mechanical fuel system. And what we're doing is we're building this unit um, this mechanical fuel system that replaces a carburetor. Okay, now, I have a question. Go. What the hell is a carburetor? Yeah, I was going to say, like, we, we really try to break it down and keep it basic, too. Like, what does the carburetor... I know what, it, I know what, I know, I know what a carburetor is, but I don't really I'm know what it I'm thinking of some does. old Chevy and that yeah. thing on the top and the little round thing that flips yeah, up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I can't get my car tuned the right way, it's and so I want to light the whole thing on fire. You get the screw... Well, I think there is some And now kind of, I own an electric car. There's some kind of fire that's going on inside the carburetor, right? Isn't that where the yeah. combustion occurs? That's right. Boom. Uh, 
You remember, mm. you remember getting out of that vehicle and having to change that butterfly because you uh, no. moved into altitude if you were up in the Rockies yeah. or something. So no. and the weird little round yes. air filter thing on the top yes. and had the little wing nuts. Yes. Yeah. So wait, Matt, let me. <laughs> the last time you were working on your car, yeah, you I were was in high school. You were no, you you weren't adjusting your carburetor. I was in high school. My what? first car was a '74 AMC Hornet. I rebuilt the entire <laughs> engine. Did you really? Yeah, my dad no. traded a pair of tires to the piece of shit. And we fixed it up. We rebuilt the whole engine. Cool. Well, you are you guys are both outclassing me. Cause and I never did tune the damn thing the right way, and I never ran the right way, probably because of the carburetor. It's a good thing you know how to build software then. So I'm, I'm ready to learn about carburetor. Well, uh, let's go back to the <laughs> etymology of carburetor. Back to your question. <laughs> etymology? Where did the word come from? All right. Etymology or carburetor? Well, carburetor <laughs> and the etymology of carburetor. All right. Sorry. All right. All right. Welcome so, to Startup Hustle Ace. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the origin of the word is carb and uh, uh, carbon fuel. Okay. Or writer, eater. We eat fuel. It eats fuel. So the carburetor was the principal item in that Chevy or AMC that Matt was talking about where the combustion takes place. That's where the um, um, engine is fired or powered by virtue of that combustion. And so the carburetor speaking to the engine in uh, firing of those pistons and the energy being produced is a function of the fuel being burned in what is a carburetor. Okay. Well, well the, isn't the purpose of it to add air to the fuel? It's a mix. Fuel? The carburetor the mix. mixes air and fuel. Okay. Correct. Look and the big brain on Watson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and wow. the, guy's, the guy's showing his true colors. Um, <laughs> so, so a carburetor, manages eats fuel or otherwise processes that fuel right and um it's it's virtually on every engine but new cars yeah. don't use those anymore well right? we went to fuel injection so what is the fuel injector doing but eating fuel it's the process of delivering that fuel into the function of eating that fuel so They're there's still a carburetor. carburetors yeah there's still if there's the function of carburation taking place in yeah. that fuel injector but you're right. A lot of, uh, of, for instance, automobiles have moved to fuel injection over the years uh, in large measure to try to meet uh, fuel economy, but moreover, uh, pollution requirements. And so electronic fuel injectors inject small droplets rather than large droplets of fuel. <clears throat> and by doing so, they're dispersing that fuel and trying to time the disbursement of that fuel into the combustion activity, uh, a, a carburetor. So... That's become a norm in automobiles, and it's happened over the course of many years. Now, the way our system works is is not injection, but it's a more um, accurate and mechanical means of mixing the air and fuel. Okay. But it's not for cars, is it? Well, you know, or at least we, theoretically at this point. Or... So let's talk theoretically. If we were going to go back to Matt's AMC from years ago, or my Roadrunner, I would love of to. 1975. Orange Roadrunner 383. I'm not a gearhead, guys, but I'm doing my best here. To, You're doing great to, to bring you along, both <laughs> on on the origin of um, you know the Latin origin of words and other such things. But nonetheless, um, there will be a quiz on this posted <laughs> online later, so you know. So while what we are doing is not for cars right now, if we were to take if we were to transport ourselves back into the 70s. And we were looking at a carbureted activity on top of an automobile. Uh, our solution could very easily have been in place then okay. uh, with refinements that would have led to some of the benefits that we have today. But as it turns out, 
the uh, electronic fuel injection became uh, in vogue. And on average, that probably added about five grand of cost to vehicles from where they and how they had been constructed to where they are constructed today. Wow. That's just, that's an old figure trying to take an old vehicle, move it forward into that newer technology. Okay. So the electronic fuel injection is a brilliant means of improving fuel economy and reducing pollution out of our automobiles, but it requires the use of a catalytic converter. So the injector is doing part of the job, but the amount of, of unspent fuel, which pollution is really mm. just fuel that's not been burned. Okay. okay. And so we're getting that carbon dumped into the air from not having been combusted. And so it has to go through a, 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 a catalytic converter. And that catalytic converter. So, that, so from, the catalytic converter existed, was created and existed or like its original purpose or was there to reduce carbon emissions? Yes. And, and okay. other. And so the catalytic converter has been around for what, 20, 30 years. Yes. Mainstream. And they made that, you know, like I think all, do all cars need to have that? Is that required? Well, or? it's come in conjunction with the um, uh, electronic fuel injection in okay. an effort to improve air quality. And so, yes, they've been working together over okay. probably that period of time. So the, via, the, 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 the car industry and cars and trucks and stuff like that have begun tackling this, but you guys are solving a different problem for at least now. Um, and, and by the way, we should back up. So, um, Ace, I met you, I was a panelist at 1 million cups and, right. uh, Matt, have you done that before? I don't think I've been a panelist. Okay. I've been to 1 million cups a few times. So 1 million cups is, uh, uh, and by the way, regardless of where you are, whether you're in Kansas city or somewhere else, go check it out. Cause it's cool. And um, it's in a bunch of cities. Yeah. And it, but it started here, which yeah. I thought was really neat. So 1 million cups is an opportunity for businesses to go present their, their solution and themselves to a group of people, the and, local community. Yeah. And get feedback on it. And it's a good way to get exposure. It's also a good way to get feedback. So I was one of the panelists and we sat on stage and talked about your stuff. Um, but I was, so Matt and I, um, the, the consummate world travelers that we've become since we started full scale are very aware of the issue of the problem that you're trying to solve. And you guys are tackling, uh, the issue related to all the pollution that comes from smaller engines, especially like scooters and motorcycles and stuff, right? That's correct. Yes. So, so, you know, when we, and Matt can attest to this, I mean, that's the majority of vehicles at full scale. Most of our, uh, most of our employees ride a two wheeled vehicle. Well, and I can tell you most people in the Philippines, uh, walk around all day with a mask over their face because the pollution the is so bad and yeah. the air quality is so bad. I mean, and then that's, I mean, half the people yeah. are, have a rag or something over their face. Yeah. And I mean, and that, and so that is a direct effect of the poor fuel quality that comes with it. And like, I think, you know, I think a lot of people are, are a lot more informed now, but like your lawnmower will spit out more pollution than your car, like significantly. And is, I mean, that's, and it's the same way with the two wheel vehicles. Oh yeah. The two wheel vehicles, the weed eaters, the lawnmowers, um, that technology and, and the absence of a catalytic converter, the absence of higher quality, either fuel injection or the use of our product. Um, if you combine all of those small engines up, uh, they're near the second largest polluters in the world. Right. Second to coal-fired power plants. But here's the problem with the rag across the face with your uh, Filipino um, employees and friends. Um, the carbon molecule is um, heavier than other air molecules. And so when we're spitting that carbon out of the small engines going down that roadway, it unfortunately has the effect of staying at ground level. 
So not to be a fan of coal-fired power plants, but they have tall stacks and there's been an awful lot of regulation cleaning the air coming from those stacks. And it's also several hundred feet in the air and the wind has a better chance of taking that someplace. Hmm. So we're killing ourselves worldwide by sucking in that ground level pollution. What you've done in those urban centers is you've aggregated so many of those things together that people have to have a cloth across their face just to try to breathe. So what our product could do for that situation, and we're in the aftermarket today, um, is replace the fuel system on a lot of those scooters and mild motorcycles. Our system works on uh, units up to about a 600 cc level. But yeah, we, most of these are probably 50 or 100 cc. Yeah. So we're 600 s- sweet spot huge. for us. 600 is big, but it gives you an idea of the breadth. So we're we're down at being able to manage that 50 cc all the way up to that large. Most of the bikes that you see running around the Philippines are 50, they're 100 cc, 150 cc, or maybe 175 motorcycles. But our system replaces the existing, and when when those units were new, they went out with a carburetor on them, and uh, they don't have um, a catalytic converter, typically. But if we were in a situation where we could replace that carburetor for that rider, we would reduce that ground-level pollution by 50% the carbon side of that that's pretty significant. Pollution. so it's a big bump how would it improve the fuel efficiency too um it depends on the bike but we've tested and let's just call it a scooter that we've tested and we know uh we have 42 percent fuel improvement on wow. a um uh, a scooter so the beauty of that is that if we can figure out how to get the message which is why i'm talking to you brilliant uh, social media marketing people <laughs> is that we can figure out how to deliver that message into those kinds of markets the philippines being one place it would be a wonderful target and we can price our product at volume at a level that would be affordable to these folks um the opportunity for them and for instance in india we run the numbers and the, these riders average about five thousand miles a year getting to work and back and riding their families around well, that would save them about 100 to 100 and a quarter uh, a year in fuel cost. And that's big money there. That's big money to these people who, you know, whose average annual income might be $3,000, dollars okay. So what we're after is the um, trifecta, the blend of both increased power, which we'll talk about in a minute because some of our customers today are buying it for that purpose and that purpose alone, but to have a drastic improvement on the uh, ground level pollution while at the same time, hopefully putting a product in the hands of that buyer that saves them money year in and year out. So let me ask you this. If I am Philippines or India or one of these countries that has motorcycles everywhere, what do they currently do today in regards to emissions and controlling emissions on motorcycles? Are emissions on motorcycles, have they improved over the years or emissions on motorcycles pretty terrible at this point like they've just something that's never really been improved or really not been addressed in any significant way ignored so the holy grail for you is to somehow convince you know the government of the philippines or india or something like that like oh you need to mandate better you know uh emission control and we can help you do that i mean that would be the holy grail for you right yes um i have an operative a friend who's environmentally conscious and a bright guy happens to be from bangladesh and he returned to his home country over the holidays this past year. And his his associate, happens to be a family member, is now the minister of um, energy and okay. the environment there. And they were discussing other matters, uh, other energy-related issues. 
But the minister said, what could you do for me with your American technology to address these doggone scooters and motorcycles that keep coming in at 25 and 30 percent more year on year? And they're dirty. Now, I tell you that story to say that that minister knows damn good and well uh, a good portion of the contribution of the pollution in his cities and why people are putting a rag across their mouth to ride here yeah. before. So, yes, that could be the Holy Grail. And it was it was a wonderful acknowledgement that this gentleman understood the problem that he's faced with. Uh, my counterpart said, yeah, I think I've got an answer for you. And, 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 and I know some people in Kansas City with a solution to that. So we want to work up a, pro a pilot project where we can take uh, right now we, we have a more expensive product than is reasonable to just go jump into the Philippines with. Or, How much or is your product today? We sell on average at uh, $6.99 for a unit that's being sold to uh, motorcycle riders, dirt bike riders, people that paid eight, nine, ten grand for their bike. And, so, and, and that's the niche that you've carved out. So right. while, while we're talking about solving the, the um, environmental issues and reducing carbon emissions in places like Bangladesh or the Philippines, but the, that six ninety nine a unit is, is a, that's a lot. Right. Yeah, hang on. Yeah. Go. I just bought a motorcycle in the Philippines. You did? A brand new one. A Yamaha. I don't remember what model it was. There's so many things I learned about yeah, yeah. during this podcast. Oh, brand new. Do you want to guess how much it costs? Nine nine ninety nine. I was going to say probably fourteen fifteen hundred bucks. Can I bid fourteen hundred dollars? Damn, I was going to brand bid, new. I was going not bid, used. I was going to bid one dollar after new. that. Isn't what brand, Matt? Yamaha. Okay. I can get you the model number, and, and it's one hundred percent brand new. Okay, so we take that brand new unit. So that seven hundred dollars is a huge amount, right? For a fourteen hundred dollar. Right, but the dirt bikes that I'm referring to are Yamaha, KTM, yeah, yeah. others here stateside, yep. and they're more expensive. Yep. Um, so the fuel system on that $1,400 bike bike that you brought bought is mass manufactured someplace. It's yeah. been installed on these bikes all over the world, and not much has been done, if anything at all, to attend to the output. Oh, I bet the fuel efficiency and stuff is... Right. Everything about it is made cheap. Guarantee right. Yeah. So with volume the opportunity for our company to drive cost out of these uh, units is very probable. And, you know, we're in a, a, the, the hundreds and the low thousands of production doing what we're doing today, which is a real niche. Where we want to head is into the opportunity for the large-scale production. And at volume, we want to be able to sell a unit for 100 and a quarter, 100 bucks, uh, try to get that rider an opportunity to save the amount of money annually that might cost on a one-year term. Right. We could get it cheaper than that. I would love to do that. But so, I, but, but with that, well, let's challenge. Let's challenge this a little bit because one of the things when we talked at One Million Cups that I brought up was there's a supply chain issue that you know because when someone has to replace an engine component, they don't want to wait. They, right. That's like a now thing. It's like fix my car now. Like my, you know, I'm out of work because I can't get to work. Right, or I can't, any of it. And the issue with some of that is you got to have the part in stock and different stuff like that. Um, is that is that part? And then there's an awareness, you know, component too. So, um, how are you guys, or like, what are some of your plans for tackling either the the availability? or the awareness that the product even exists? Oh, well, the awareness is the first issue. Right. And as Matt said earlier, maybe the minister's acknowledgement of the problem and the potential solution would enable us to 
uh, reach out a little bit further. In that particular example, uh, my friend, the Bangladeshi young man, um, has a friend who built an app. And the app is effectively the Uber for the riding of a motorcycle. So if you yeah, were there yeah, and, and you can't get across town, you put that app and get yourself a ride on the back of somebody's bike and you weave in and out of traffic. It's called Ancus, Philippines. Is that an app, an operating app? That yeah, I, 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 I would love that. I've ridden on the back of those motorcycles a bunch of times. I thought they had, is oh, that no. Grab? Isn't that another Grab one, is yeah. like the car version. Okay. Ancus okay. is the motorcycle version. Okay. Well, this version was developed by a Bangladeshi, and I don't know the name of it, but he's got uh, a million, 200,000 subscribers. So many of those are bike riders themselves. And our goal is to have the product developed and produced in such a, uh, uh, at a cost level that we could say and broadcast to that social media outlet, to that group of riders, you know, this thing, one, reduces pollution, and two, you can have, you know, they could advertise to that. But secondly, you could put this money in your pocket. Those guys are probably riding 10,000 miles a year and can save 200, 250 bucks a see year. See, the, the, the problem I see with these sort of things is it costs money to save money. Yeah. Yes. And like the average person in the Philippines doesn't even buy a um, – uh, a regular size thing of, of like shampoo. Yeah. They, they could buy that and save money, but instead they buy individual serving shampoo things that cost like a few pennies and they buy like those every week instead of like going to Costco and buying a big thing of it. Like they could save so much money. Like same thing with toilet paper. They buy one roll of toilet paper at a time, wow. which is more expensive. But I, that's all the money they have. I just do one square at a time. One square at a time. Yeah. Um, so that's the problem with so many of these things, right? Is it, it, it is. costs money to save money and, and, and actually like the people I'm talking about that I, uh, help buy this motorcycle, they don't even have a stove or a refrigerator. Yeah. So uh, the idea reality. of them spending money on a carburetor is probably way down the list, right? So th well, that's but, the challenge. But, and, well, it another is. challenge too, and this is just like general realism here is getting people to care. Yeah, You right. know, cause like, I mean, just like for real, like on so many levels, like, especially in, you know, some of these countries where you talk about, uh, your potential buyer not having a refrigerator or a stove or yeah. something like that. And then like trying to convince that buyer, Hey, you got to save the environment. And they're like, man, I'm just trying to like eat. Literally survive. Yeah. They're literally trying to survive. Now, maybe that's not your target buyer. Um, you know, we've always said along the way that there are, uh, there are riches in the niches. And let's talk about that for a second before we get into the challenges, because you actually have seen a high level of adoption with enduro racing. We've begun to see that. We're just coming out of the closet ourselves a little bit because the supply chain that you mentioned earlier has been our challenge. Uh, you met Corey Dias yeah. when we were at uh, One Million Cups. And I wish he was like, he's like the engine scientist. And, and, and yeah. he was the protege um, and had the benefit of being educated by Red Edmondson. So they knew one another. And where K-State is known for agriculture, uh, Corey lived and worked in Wyoming. And the University of Wyoming there is known for small engine development, increased power and, and management and, and effectiveness of those engines. And so he's got, the, the frankly, the brilliance to deliver this technology. I'm, I'm adrift trying to take the brilliance of this technology into the developing world. Sure. You guys have acknowledged both the need 
and also the problems for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm cool with the need. I got that covered for you. You figure out how to help get the message out there for me. Will you? Well, I think that's but, the challenge for any product in any business yes, is there's, is. you know, there's, we talk to a lot of people and, and by the way, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And it's a really admirable approach. Uh, I think uh, there's no silver bullet solution to all of the climate change issues that get out there. And it's going to have to take a swarm of bees to kind of get after but that. But that's, what's awesome is you legitimately solve a huge part of the problem. Right. But that's, what's, that's, what's funny. Same thing with like what Stackify does, right? Like we can help software developers improve the performance of their software. But unless they have an acute pain by that, they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, maybe you can right. help me a little bit, but I've got this other dumpster fire over here. I need to go work yeah. on it. Yeah, well, right, and that's and that's that 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 caring component, and that's not just. I mean, that's available to anything, and until that pain component, yeah. until that that threshold for pain and pollution is, is, is never reached, one of them. It should be, it really except should for the government, be. right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And so they, the to me, the, the holy stuff. the holy grail of this to me is like, can you go to somebody like Yamaha and just license this to them and say, hey, we have a better design. You can mm-hmm. manufacture this for. $10 a motorcycle or whatever it is you already pay, yep. pay us a few dollars and here's all the, you know, rights to the patent, license it, put right. this on every freaking motorcycle. All right. You see that wall next to you? Beat, beat your head against that a little bit. Oh, do it. Do it. Back, do it. So, so yes, <laughs> yes, yes, Matt, what you're saying is true. But as we look at the obstacles of delivering new technology into the market, mm-hmm. uh, you describe one of them, a behemoth company. What do you mean you got something better than what we got? How can that be? That doesn't fit. So we're in this niche that we're in to try to put units into the marketplace, to prove the point, to, to scatter the tests that we've already run yeah. to prove what we're saying. There's another example of the outfit called Bimbo Brakes. They make a better brake. People can stop and whatever it is about the function of their brake, it works at a higher level. So that company went into the aftermarket and right. was selling to motorcycle users and they bought the brand new Yamaha or KTM or whatever they bought. And by God, they put a bimbo brake on. They took off the old one, put on a new one, even though it cost them a few extra. It's a bucks. luxury product. Yeah, it seemingly was a luxury product. But what happened is the vendors came knocking on their door and saying, it seems to me our customers keep using this other product and right. we'd like to cut a deal with you. Yep, yep. So we're trying to enter that market yep. and we're holding a few conversations with um, not necessarily the Yamaha Kawasaki's of the world at this point but with a couple of motorcycle makers who give their customers options about how they build yeah. those out. And so we're being a little bit discussed and looked at, but we've got riders singing our praises. You guys are in the business of influencing people and, and using influence to help you build your brand and, 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 and building a community around that. That's what's going on with the units that we're selling right now. Let me ask you this. Is, is this a product that can also be used for uh, what is the, I can't remember the right terminology for it, but they're like ATVs and razors and stuff like that. Yes. Now, a lot of that market has gone electronic fuel injection. So okay. to, to continue to operate, some of those vendors were forced by our EPA or the Euro. Those are more standard. substantial engines, right? They're more like a car engine in some Yeah, but cases. that's not why the, our technology wouldn't work there. Right. Our, our, it absolutely would. Um, but they're defaulting to what they what is known in the market. So don't accept my words here as something that's well-known in the market. We're just entering our way into the market. Okay. But the technology could absolutely be used across a much broader band of um, uses. So So we've tested these things, and let's just go on your example there. Um, uh, Somebody buys into the technology of electronic fuel injection, but to meet the air quality standards of the EPA and the Euro, um, they still need a catalytic converter. 
Well, we run the same parallel kinds of tests and we burn that fuel completely enough that we don't need a catalytic converter. And motorcycles don't have catalytic converters, right? Some do. Some do. Most okay. don't. But your big Harleys and things like that, they went electronic so what, fuel injection so, years ago. So Kawasaki and Yamaha, people like that, they don't use uh, electronic fuel injection? Some are moderately moving into that space. Most of the bigger bikes moved there years ago. Uh, there's a little bit of an internal raging debate. Does this bikes that we were talking about across the uh, ocean are two cycle engines and two cycle engines were seen to be difficult as being clean enough to continue to be produced. So some have tried to take their two cycle engines into a electronic fuel injection scenario. They've had, they've had some customer feedback saying, no, this thing's not as responsive or it's sluggish or it's this or it's and that. And the cost has got to be really high. And the cost is higher. Right. Um, so we would love to have them recognize the benefit of our fuel system. But we're a growing firm trying mm -hmm. to just make our way into the world. Um, we've got a terrific supply chain today that we didn't have a couple of years ago. And the Kansas City base predominantly. Um, but we are making what are effectively custom units right. at that kind of pricing. And we need to build enough of a given market, either for a manufacturer, like you're suggesting, Matt, or for a niche market where if, if the Minister of the Environment in Bangladesh says, I will deploy World Bank money so that that unit is $10 rather than $100, uh, he might be able to stimulate yep. and try to get that kinetic energy ball moving in that space. Is your ball, is your uh, <clears throat> product electronic at all? Or is it just completely mechanical? Just ask me in a month or so. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. The, you need the engine. It's turning into a cyborg. You need the engine science guy. The other. The, well. The, what was his name again? Your Corey, CTO. Corey Dias. Okay. This dude had my head spinning. I was like, oh, oh man. Like, I mean, he was breaking it down to the molecules and stuff like that. Now, I'm a little, now part, all right. So, you know, I have some experience with Yamaha as a company, Matt. You know that, right? The other side of Yamaha. Yeah, but you know, so if you look at Yamaha's logo, do you realize it's three piano tuning forks mm -hmm. laid across each other? They made a piano long before they ever made a boat engine or a motorcycle or right. anything like that. But I worked on the, and I didn't actually work for Yamaha, but I ran a chain at Yamaha Distributors. Now that said, I did work for Roland, their biggest competitor in music instruments, and. You know, I'm, I'm a little surprised that the Japanese uh, and both those companies are Japanese because, I mean, go to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to talk about crowded and, the, and their uh, attack at the, the, the environmental issues and the stuff that comes up. I, I, I would be surprised that or I'm a little surprised that they're not a little more aggressive about that. But maybe it's about not being able to meet that price point in those other markets that aren't Japan. Well, we've upgraded our website recently. We're working with the guys over at Lifted Logic to come out with another website, and it'll be another month or two. And we're trying to do more about the scientific exploration of our product, not just demonstrating and selling the product as a store on our website, but rather also... The explanation? A little bit of an explanation, okay, sure. a little bit of the technology explanation. Uh, but just with the improvements that we've recently made, it's amazing the um, size of company, quality of companies looking at us, asking us, I suppose, internally, what the hell's going on here? Mm -hmm. Because this is a simple solution to a massive problem. Now, we've spent most of our time here today talking about the aftermarket as our entry into the market. Mm -hmm. My goal would be to sit here a year from now and say, yeah, we've had three conversations with the big companies yep. who see the value of what we're doing. I have a couple of business relationships, being a little up in age uh, over you guys, that, have, uh, that are serving me at present. <clears throat> so coming out of my old firm, knowing a few Japanese-American, very successful business guys, they know these people. They know these people at the top level of these companies. 
But we have to have our supply chain and our future plans. And you asked about electronic componentry and that kind of thing. Yeah, all that's being developed. So we're, 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 we're coming out of R&D because we're putting product in the market right now. Uh, and we're ready to hold some of those high-level discussions. But those kind of companies need to see a well-capitalized uh, uh, firm with not only current product moving into the market, but some potential future product moving into that. I think some people don't. So I know uh, I used to go to Detroit a lot, and I knew some people that just like they're engineers. Mm-hmm. They design cars. Um, and and I lived in Indianapolis, which is kind of on the way to Detroit. So a lot of that has kind of trickled out. But a lot of people don't know this, but if a, if a vehicle or a motor manufacturer, if they're going to change anything in their manufacturing process, they, it's like a couple years to ramp up to that. They don't just like change it on, in January where they're like, oh, we're going to make a change. And in March, they're doing something different. Like they have to make like, because a lot of that stuff's robotic. It does a lot of different stuff. And, you know, they just have, it's not a very fast cycle. Yeah, it's not a fast, it's not fast to get to market, you know. And I think there's other things that we might slow that down. But we were told directly by a major manufacturer in one of of the spaces that we're talking about, not motorcycles, but that that was a six-year curve. Right. And if they went into their board of directors and said, oh, by the way, we're thinking about shifting away from this electronic fuel uh, uh, injection thing that we got going on because we've got a mechanical solution that works right now and has been tested. Uh, either the board or the people introducing the idea to the board felt like they would look like idiots. And that's the beating of the head against the wall. You get egos involved about business and planning that's already in place that causes them to not think as clearly or step outside of the box. So your two years is really six years. Yeah. So think about that. And so we like to use the show as an opportunity to get people to, you know, like, I mean, we're not talking about software today. We're talking about engines, engines. I mean, this is hundred plus year old technology. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a new trend, but these are the, so, you know, we like to talk about the challenges and the problems that entrepreneurs face, that startups face, that any business face. And we always, I like to talk about that path to revenue or like where you're like, what's your sales cycle, you know? And like, think about that. If you have to look at six years of runway, right to hit the production timeline to where that really matters. Like, are you ready for that? And that's, I mean, that's a, that's a challenge to overcome. Really like, is. I mean, dude, what are you doing in six years, Matt? Cause I'll be 50. Mm-hmm. Like that's like a long, I mean, that's a right. crazy long time. Well, like there's a lot to consider. Matt, so you have to be pre- plan and prepare. Like what, what kind of preparation and planning goes into that? If that's part of the plan or is it like, Hey, we're going to, kind of stay in our lane. We're going to stay lean. We're going to do, we're going to take over the niche where we're at and let this other stuff develop. Or is it all about, I mean, are you guys thinking more like, Hey, we're just, we need to get this attached to a Ford. I think we had to prove to ourselves that we could build this in volume. And that proof comes from a supply chain that feeds us because we're not, we're not, we're not buying all the machinery for foundry level casting and or even CNC routers. We're relying on third parties. A whole nother level. Right. We're going to run a foundry. Right. But when you hear people talk about being in this space, that's from whence they come is Mm -hmm. in a very major manufacturing kind of an enterprise space. We're taking the technology and relying on high quality manufacturing Mm -hmm. and doing what we can locally to feed this um, uh, uh, supply chain. And by putting the product into the market to become known, I'll give you an example. Um, another thing that our product does <clears throat> is it self-compensates for altitude. So where we used to have to get out of the car mm. and un- yep. un- unstick that. And that's the carburetor adjustment you were talking about, yeah. Matt. I used right. to live in the mountains and you'd have to make it leaner. That's still. open it up. 
that's still happening. That fuel-air mix ratio is still happening for bike riders who are running in the hills, okay. in the mountains. So a gentleman from Nepal who builds 400 units a year, motorcycles, calls us and says, does this thing really work? I've been intrigued by the self-compensating uh, altitude adjustment. And of course, Corey got on the line and you can imagine, Matt, how that went. So the guy said, absolutely, I'll try it on one of my units. Let's get started. So he's right now in that testing procedure. But the goal there is to have a guy who's at 8,000 foot elevation uh, be able to drive and uh, in, in, in into those uh, into that into the Himalayas up to whatever, 15,000 feet. So <clears throat> we have flown this carburetor mechanical fuel system at 22,000 feet. So from from ground level to 22,000 feet, and it adjusts itself. It manages its own fuel-air ratio in a way that you don't have to retune and readjust it. So the guy in Nepal is motivated by that and doing sure. his own testing right now. So, you know, it could be a small OEM for us, somebody who says, I'm going to put this unit on as first-level equipment rather than buying that stuff from his Yeah, I mean, it seems like you you just have to do everything you can to prove the market, prove the product, and then hope somebody else comes along and wants to license it and manufacture it at scale. Yes. Yeah, so, we'd be happy to license over time. Uh, we'd be happy to be the supplier to uh, midsize OEM opportunities. It's like, here's uh, the designs. You guys go build a million of these things. You got it. So a few things as we round out this episode. First off, if you want to check out what Ace and Technology Elevated do, you can go to technologyelevated.com. I've been to the website. It's got some really cool stuff. You can check out what they're doing. If you want to see what, learn more about what Matt Watson and I do at FullScale, go to fullscale.io. We can help you build software teams quickly and affordably. Go to our YouTube channel, like and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram at, at Startup Hustle Podcast. Matt also mentioned earlier, Stackify, that's a software company that can help you with application performance management. So make sure you like, review, and subscribe to this episode. And uh, we can go ahead and uh, have a little summary here. We learned today that Matt bought a motorcycle. <laughs> I did. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the highlight of my notes about Watson. But you know, also, you know, that's, I, I really do want to, I want to, you know, state again, I think it's admirable what you guys are doing. I think it's an important challenge that is, you know, like I look at my kids and they're two and a half and four and a half. I'm like, Oh my God, like, are we going to be underwater? Are we going to be just breathing carbon? Are we going to like develop gills to like, yeah. I don't know. There's so many things, but uh, you know, once again, in regards to what technology eleva elevated builds, you get an aftermarket mechanical fuel system. It can increase the power with what you do. It'll reduce the emissions and, and, and basically pay for itself through user savings. Ace as an entrepreneur. Now you have a background as an executive coach. You're the, one of the founders of spark lab KC. You've done a lot of different stuff from what you've learned at technology elevated can you give our listeners just a little bit of entrepreneurial advice it doesn't even need to come from that just it, it, it w drop a little knowledge on us other than to not play cards with you <laughs> technology elevated um has taught me on, on on the bricks and mortar side because a lot of the consulting i've done is in software or SaaS related company development a little bit of different animal it takes me back to my construction supply days because I was a um, owner and operator of a significant cons uh, construction supply company. And what I mean by that is that the bricks and mortar side of building a business, you know, the management of the uh, um, available cash and the production lines and the timing, it, it takes a team. It takes a really focused team because 
it, it takes different subspecialties to make that happen. I've mentioned Corey a couple of times. The guy's mm-hmm. flipping brilliant relative to this technology. He simply needs to be known by other people who are building these kinds of equipment. Because when we go to license this stuff, he's the key integrator of their ability to build what we have. We're still just trying to learn how this thing works or why it works to the degree that it does. We've got a wonderful opportunity to do a, a, a test performance and evaluation with the guys at MRI Global big energy-related enterprise, big research institute. It's the tying together of those various elements and recognizing that the pieces of that build-out and that puzzle. I've mentioned my supply chain repeatedly. I got to thank them for taking a risk with us at an early stage to build what we need on our limited capital base to make things happen and to work with us. And they're very motivated to help us grow into and succeed with this company. Perhaps in part because we're an emerging technology company, perhaps in part because, you know what, we're trying to solve a bit of a world's problem. It's a real problem. So that's what motivates me. And that's why I'm putting time in there is to see if we can figure out how to get this product delivered into the world to be part of the solution. We're all doing a better job at pointing at the problem and understanding the environmental problem, but I'm looking forward to being part of the solution. And that's why I work there, but it takes a team to get it done. And we're just trying to come into the world as a, as an early stage firm. We're in revenue, uh, looking for our next stage of investment, probably our C, Series A needs to be pulled together here in short order uh, because the things that we've talked about here on the short bro- uh, podcast are very cash intensive. You know, yeah, it's going to take yeah. a lot to make this happen. Yeah, I think that this was a, there were some important <laughs> lessons here. I mean, one of the things that um, I think is just a resounding theme, Matt and I have talked about with so many different people, is the importance of finding co founders, people that are good at stuff like Matt. I know now that you are very proficient at building, fixing, upgrading, and maintaining engines. Yeah. And everyone knows that I'm like an all star race car driver, so we can start a race team. Oh, yeah. We're going to get, we're going to use your new motorcycle. We're going to yeah. put one of these things on it. We're going to increase the power. Now, here's the problem I'm a big dude. So I feel like I'm like, I, I, I'm like, it would be like putting two jockeys on a horse. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right approach. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go hit the gym. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.